0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Friday, September 19th, 2014 from Sleet. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pasca. So I'm flying to Georgia. As you hear this, I might be in the air. But who knows? You might hear it a month from now. And I might be in the air. So I have some packing hacks. Pack hacks for you. And these won't really help your life, I'm going to guess. But they will give you an insight into the febrile mind of me, your host. Pack hack number one. When you travel with magazines, now, I know, a lot of you have Kindles and stuff, but I travel with magazines. In fact, pretty much the only reason I travel is to read magazines. Someone will say, hey, would you like to fly to New Zealand? Not really, but I could get to all of 1998's New Yorkers, so yes. So when you travel with magazines, what you're going to want to do is tear out all the ads. The new edition of the New York Times Fashion Magazine, you know where the table of content starts? Page 50, page 50, and then you can go through the rest of it and you kind of do a little triage and say, well, there's an ad for a watch on one side. On the other side, nah, it's some tips on what to buy, what kind of socks to buy. That could go. And then I do this with uh, all my magazines too. I did have this insight as to magazines. You know, Magazines weigh a lot. They're really dense, but as you read them, you become smarter. So there's almost what I call a density transfer, right? The density of the magazine runs exactly counter to the density of the reader. You become less dense. And then, upon having read the entire magazine, you throw it away and your bag is less dense. Interesting that. And this leads me to my other pack hack. You know you have some shirts, like t-shirts, not really that expensive shirts, like maybe some shorts too that are pretty much down to their last wear. I don't know, maybe you don't. Maybe you're the kind of person who throws them out way before he gets to that point. Not me. So I have a shirt. I'm like, all right, this still is the structure of a shirt. I still see where the head and the arms go. But I know I probably shouldn't be wearing this too much. A small rip has emerged. It's definitely going to become a big rip. You know what I do? I don't throw those shirts out. I take them with me on plane trips. I wear the shirt there and I throw it out there before I come home. This way, I will guarantee that I'm flying home a little lighter than what I flew there with. Same with the magazines. There's no density transfer but it is an interesting life hack slash insane thing for someone to do who really should be throwing out more shirts on the show today in the spiel I will be defining this the very sound the very content of what you're listening to going to use some labels i don't believe in labels except when I believe in labels and before that i'm going to bring you a pretty lengthy session with a musician he played for us he told us his life story this guy named Xavier I just think that You're going to love him, and maybe you'll remember, oh yeah, I heard this guy on the gist when he blows up. Who knows if he's going to blow up? I mean, there actually was a time when he was huge, and then he became less huge. But of course, he still got a gig to do the soundtrack for uh, Leprechaun, Back to the Hood. We'll get to that. Just such good music, such a good guy. I really enjoyed spending some time with him. But first, on the eve of a very large environmental march in New York City, I'll talk to one of the top thinkers and one of the top activists on this issue. That's right now. Bill McKibben is an author. He's an environmentalist. In 1989, he wrote a book, The End of Nature. It was a huge sensation. It kind of made environmentalism mainstream. He's the founder of a site called 350.org. It's a planet-wide grassroots climate change movement. So on September 21st here in New York, there's going to be a huge climate change march. So Bill, here's my question. Let's say that we don't enact a policy that is your wildest dreams. Let's say we enact the best policy that we could get given the current political climate. Let's say we do a little cap and trade and some stuff that's good. How bad the environment going to be after that?
0: Well, that is a very good way of putting the question because it gets at this question of what realism really is. We're used to thinking about Realism uh, in political terms, uh, what we might be able to get in a negotiation. That's a good way to think about it. That's how human beings usually operate. You give me some, I give you some, we meet someplace in the middle, we go on. The trouble is the negotiation around climate in the end is not between Different groups of human beings. It's between human beings and physics, and physics is a is a piss poor negotiator. It just refuses to compromise, to meet in the middle, to budge. Uh, that's our problem. Politicians have tried to do exactly what you've suggested for years now. Let's do a little thing here and a little thing there, and uh, the stuff that won't be so painful and that no one might notice, and it's adding up to basically nothing at all. Uh, The amount of carbon in the atmosphere went up faster last year than it's gone up uh, 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 in, in a very long time. The temperature is rising, the Arctic is melting, the ocean is acidifying, and it's time for us to understand that the important thing political realism in the end it's trumped by reality realism that's where we are and i wish i could tell you different but it's very very difficult to spin science
1: bill mckibben author of oil and honey environmentalist spearheading and uh, organizing this giant march that's going to be in new york about environmentalism thanks so much
0: thank you and see you on sunday
1: And now the latest development in living longer, brought to you by Prudential Financial. The human body is a miraculous machine, but a machine for which it's been really hard to find replacement parts until now. Today, regenerative medicine researchers are making huge strides in techniques that can actually create new organs and tissues. What techniques? How about 3D printed cells or lab-made organ scaffolds? Human bladders have been grown in the lab and successfully implanted since the late 90s, but these researchers are now working on more complex organs like kidneys and tracheas. Last year, they were even able to grow a new nose under a patient's arm and that opens the door to eventual replacement of bone muscle skin and even full limbs and it's not just older patients who'll benefit from the work veterans and many younger patients need this kind of treatment too if you'd like to read more about this and other fascinating longevity research visit slate.com live longer the living longer project is sponsored by prudential
2: murdering every time that I give the chance, I but remember first.
1: So listen to this song. This is how this story goes with me. My friend Dave said, you gotta listen to this. I'm like, this is amazing. Of course, you're hearing it. And he said, you won't believe the story of the guy who did it. I'm like, well, who's the guy? Well, his name is Xavier, and I can't pronounce his last name, but uh, he was this huge thing 20 years ago, and then there was a, an accident, and then there was a reinvention. I'm like, this guy's amazing. Like, he seems to be the sort of guy you hear his voice once, you need to hear more. It's like, well, you should interview him. I'm like, sure. He's like, my friend Malcolm knows him. I'm like, set it up. And now here he is, Xavier De DeFrepoles. Let me spell his last name for you, D-P-H-R-E-P-A-U-L-E-Z-Z. Xavier de Frepelez is a musician with a fascinating story who makes great, soulful, funky music. The new album is called "Fantastic Negrito." Hello, Xavier. Hello, so, Mike Pesca. Hey, man. Tell me about when you first came to California as a young boy. You were born in Massachusetts. Yeah, raised I was born in, in New
2: England. Uh...
1: I was conceived in the West Village,
2: from what I heard. All right. And not born far in, from where we are. Yeah, not far from where we are. <laughs> Actually, on Cornelia Street. Uh-huh. And my dad had a business there for years, decades. Well, what did your dad do? Well, my dad was a restaurateur, uh-huh. craftsman, hustler, high priest. Is all, that, all is that literal? Cause I he's mean, from, pretty much. He's I mean, from I mean, Somalia, right? Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. from all over the place. I found out later, you know, I have a brother that's older than my mother. That's been part of the journey is discovering who my dad was he was actually afro-caribbean so he was he never spoke about the caribbean side but he was a kind of a somalian bah- Bahamian Bahamian background and ended up in new york and um my mom was a pretty hot thing and he got his hands on her and f- uh 14 kids later 14 14 man. wow this is all pre-viagra by the way <laughs> so what kind of music did you grow up listening to Everything. You know, we couldn't listen to any commercial music. It was very strict. So Louis Armstrong, the Boston Pops, Harry Belafonte, a bunch of African music, then blues. And when you got to Oakland, what changed? Oh, man. Uh Negrophonic. (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, I got around... You go from New England, we're talking about the Berkshires Mm -hmm. being the uh, only person of color, pretty much. And then met my brothers and sisters in Oakland, then you just... Heard it all. It was the beginning of hip-hop, you know, it was funk music, it was the gutter. And your father passed away by this point? Oh, he'd been dead yeah, gone. I never, yeah. I went into foster care when I was 12 and never saw my dad again. Before the interview started, you told me what year your dad was born. You blew my, dad, my mind. My dad was born in 1905. I'm old sperm. <laughs> For and, the record.
1: Yeah, and so you went into foster care, yes. uh, and then what happened? Did you, did you wind up with a family, your
2: family? Well, no, I just ended up with a bunch of different families, and then one family kind of rescued me. I was kind of rescued like a dog. Yeah. After being in you know foster homes, was terrible, and that time in Oakland was a war zone, and foster home was just a place we experimented with drugs and sex and fought off sexual predators and shit, but yeah. then a great family got me when I was about... 14. What year was this
1: about? It was in the 80s. Yeah. Crack epidemic. Oh, crack. Pets, I mean, gangs. Crack, yeah, Gangs, yeah.
2: crack, you name it. I mean, you're in Oakland, you were in the mix.
1: So basically, you didn't start playing until you were almost an adult. 17. I was an adult you were when an adult. I really started playing. You were out of the foster care system out by of then. the foster care system. And was it a hobby? Did you think you could... When did you start thinking, maybe I could make a living on this? I, mean, I did some talent show, and um, I liked the attention. I,
2: I'm the eighth of the 14 kids, so I was... I'm totally self-absorbed and never got enough attention, so I like the attention. I'm like, man, people like me up here. You know? And so I thought I better learn an instrument. I mean, back then, you, you better know how to play an instrument, so I just started teaching
1: myself. Well, you're a multi-instrumentalist, right? Pretty much. Yeah, so what, are your, what do you play? Like I on this album, play. which instruments are you playing? I'm
2: playing uh, some guitar. I'm playing some vocals. I'm playing some keys. I'm playing some drums. But, I mean, I, I just kind of hack away at them now because I lost my hand. Mm-hmm. When I was I was in a coma three weeks, and I have I call it the claw. You see this thing? It's called yeah. the claw. Yeah. So he can't really move, but he hacks away. I hack at the guitar. I so I mean, it is of... your
1: hand. It's not a prosthetic.
2: Well, I mean, no, it is yeah. my hand, but it's, yeah. it's pretty much useless. Yeah. You can't hold the pick. I wouldn't say useless. That's a terrible word. It's just it's it's different. Like to, for you to hold a pick, you're can't not hold the pick. You're not
1: using your finger. You could do you jam it in there? No, what is do you strum I, the guitar. What I do with?
2: is I take the claw. As I yeah. said I would again. I would demonstrate the claw. And I hack away, and I beat the instrument into submission. Yeah. Kind of. that's,
1: that's, it's ugly, but it works. You know? it's, it's this great sound, and uh, your voice. Now, were you always a decent singer? I don't think I was always a decent singer. I don't know. I, it just crept up on me. So the coma happened. You were in an automobile accident?
2: Yeah, it goes like this. Yeah. So I went from Oakland. Yeah. Learned to play a little bit, went to L.A., by like ninety four, I had a million dollar deal. Literally, G-
1: Interscope Records, right? Yeah, with Jimmy Iovine. Jimmy like, Iovine, guy who's billionaire from yeah, Apple he like now. he's the guy who produced did, Born to Run. He plucked yeah. me off the streets yeah. and. Did I mean, but you did. were funky, like funky. Uh, you open. I'm reading this L.A. Times article from 1996. <laughs> You're opening for la Soul. Yeah. I'm sure those guys were like, "You're amazing." Yeah. You I know, did. put some of your samples on the next album or whatever. Yeah, it was yeah. good. You yeah. know, yeah. Maceo. Shout out to Maceo.
2: These these guys are great and. I think I was embraced by the artist community, but I don't know. I got that big deal and I just got lost, man. And I wandered in the wilderness. I couldn't understand like the commodifying of the music. It was so weird to me. And I, I stayed on Interscope. They just kept me there. But like 99, 2000, I was literally driving down the street in Hollywood. I'd pretty much walked away from the deal. And I woke up three weeks later with a beard, not knowing who I was. Really? You wrecked a car? Yeah. Some drunk driver hit me. And, um, after I recovered, about mm-hmm. a year of recovery, I did got into the Afro Punk uh scene because I just couldn't really play anymore and um I was terribly insecure about singing, so I just thought I'd scream and destroy my voice. It was so terrible. But it was okay. Some of that stuff was great actually. And I ended up in New York quite a bit, James Spooner and Matthew Morgan. Which I hear Afro Punk is huge, not huge now, but I was playing in basements and it was great. That was a fantastic experience. You know, I, I messed around with that. Did a bunch of licensing with my songs for films. Mm-hmm. Like my first license was Leprechauns in the Hood. <laughs> so, and from then on, this I is the much,
1: horror film yeah.
2: franchise, Leprechauns. Leprechauns in the Hood.
1: What was the song?
2: It, that was, you... uh, it was on a record I did um, when I, I was Chocolate Butterfly. Uh huh. And that was called um, "Ode to King." Everything is all right.
1: Okay, the deal—literally million-dollar deal.
2: So you had literally. some money then. Did you blow your money? No, actually, uh, you know, my brother's now a PhD. My other brother's a lawyer. I helped them. Uh, we got, got thirteen
1: uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah, my, my, yeah, I
2: distributed it. I helped my mom,
1: you know, get her first house and yeah. first car. Yeah. She still has the car. That's my mom. Yeah. yeah. So you had this great deal, and then you made some money from licensing. So, so economically, I mean, your body was a—my was body was
2: through. I mean, economically, yeah. I just—I own. I opened up um, illegal nightclubs in uh, LA. Uh huh. Because. The club scene sucks so much there and I had like a 7,000 square foot warehouse so I just put in like a movie theater, hot tub on the roof, a stage and I just would open up at midnight and the cops loved me. The cops would come there and smoke <laughs> weed. They're like the bands are great. There's women walking around naked. Sorry for objectifying women. <laughs> no men walked around naked, just women. We were painting, body painting in bands till 6 a.m. So I lived a charmed life, you know. And that was uh, Blood Sugar X. I was doing this whole kind of punk-ish yeah. thing, and, and, and then I just quit at the ho- height of it. I just got sick of it, and I was insecure and confused, and I quit for five years, and then I had a son. Mm-hmm. That changed everything. He, uh, I didn't have any instruments but an old crappy guitar underneath the couch, and he was cranky and eh, doing that whole thing, and I was like, how can I get him to be happy? And I kept making faces, he wasn't impressed. I picked up the guitar and I played an open G chord and he exploded yeah. into a smile. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the power of that smile. It was like, hey, fuck you and your problems. I don't care about your problems, I don't care about what you're going through. I love what this vibration of this instrument. And then I slowly started going back into Music and then a year ago, I discovered Fantastic Negrito. So, so who
1: who have you been by the way over the? years? Well,
2: I've been um, let let's, let's I've them. been Dead from Sex, mm-hmm. I've been Blood Sugar X, mm-hmm. and then I was Blood Sugar, then Blood Sugar X. Me and this Japanese guy, Chocolate
1: Butterfly. And now I'm Fantastic Negrito. And in addition to the Leprechaun movie, which is of course uh, a high mark, you <laughs> you did the theme song for this new Amazon show, Hand of
2: God, yeah, right? Yeah, I did the opening theme for a. Show called Ham, "Hand of God," directed by Mark Forrester, written by Ben Watkins, starring like artists like uh, actors like Andre Royal and Dana Delaney, and um, who's uh, the biggest guy? The I want to call him Judge Pernell Harris. Perlman? Ron Perlman. Yeah. Ron Perlman. But he's he's I call him Judge Pernell Harris on the show, <laughs> and that I did the opening theme, "An Honest Man." Um, it's on Amazon. It's doing pretty well. I think it was a perfect uh, song for the show. Very proud of that. Now,
1: being—I don't know if it's too far. I don't know if you identify with the label, but maybe we could call you disabled, somewhat disabled. You have an. I'm somewhat arm? disabled. Somewhat yeah. disabled. How does that affect the music? I—I I know the sound. Like, so you bang a little. I bit. I think I bang a lot yeah, of it. I just—it yeah.
2: affects the sound because it's simple. It's kind of rudimentary. I really found the honesty in like what I call black roots music. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff that my my grandmother and maybe my grandmother's brother—he had one arm. He was just crazy guy, you know, was listening to this stuff on the porch in Southern Virginia when I'd visit him and drinking Johnny Walker Red and grape juice, and he'd call me Amos. And that's when he was in his 90s, and he'd just be like, Amos, boy, you know, this is when i check this out. And I mean, I related to the simplicity of that lifestyle, that music. It's amazing to be from that culture. It's amazing to come from descendants of slaves. I mean, it started to become amazing to me that we Went through this journey in this country, and I thought, wow, it's beautiful
1: in a way. I mean, there's this parallel to your own experience. I mean, every all these bad things and trying yeah. to escape sexual predators and yeah. foster care and a coma, and yeah. you know, you add it all up, and <laughs> it's who you are now. That's who I am now. And it's there's part like of... more flavor because of it, probably. Even probably, it was yeah. I mean,
2: terrible at the time. It doesn't kill you. Yeah, I mean, coming out of a uh, coming through this is I didn't think that I could. Yeah, because I was. I thought but, I can't play.
1: Yeah, you're holding your hand up now. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. couldn't.
2: I remember when they took this off, they're taking these staples out, and I'm sitting in there in the room, and I remember my heart dropped. I was looking at this thing. It's just massive hunk off. Oh, you know, yeah, it you've was,
1: taken up your sleeve now, and I'm looking at the forearm, and yeah. there's huge chunk of uh, flesh Flesh missing. Yeah. And I think
2: you know, my dad was in me, the good part of my dad, which mm-hmm. was like, man, you're going to do it. If yeah. you're going to play with your forehead, man, you're going to do it. That guy never gave up. That guy never yeah, gave up, yeah. but he gave up a lot of his kids. <laughs> that's a family joke, he did. <laughs> a lot of us ended up in foster care, but that's the bad side. But the good side is he never gave up, man. Born in that the time he was born in, man, he had a business right in the West Village in the 50s. You know, a black man, you
1: know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was, he's, he's a strong influence on me, good and bad. The new CD album, Everywhere You Hear Music, is Fantastic Negrito. Xavier de Frevelez is, uh, you know, Fantastic Negrito, but he's a lot of other things, <laughs> as, as I think you've heard. But I'm Fantastic Negrito now. Thanks, man. Right. Thanks on. for coming
2: in. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, I got a feeling, baby. Oh, I got a New York feeling with Mike Peska, baby. <laughs> Oh baby, 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 baby. Mama, no, I got a feeling. Not as turn today, oh not as dirt today. Not as dirt today, oh Mama, not not as dirt today, not as dirt today day, oh not as turn today. The night is dirty today, Lord Mama, the night is dirty today. I was walking in the darkness. I had not yet seen the light. I was sleeping with all the bad ones. And I thought I'd won the fight. At the peak of my delusion. I love money, holes, and cars. Now I'm walking in the sunlight. Broken, battered, bruised, and scarred. Oh, baby, baby,
1: baby, baby. Talk how I like it, child. And now the spiel, and I have an announcement to make, and it's this. You are listening to a radio program. Huh? What? Huh? But this isn't radio. You're listening to a podcast, or as your specific circumstances might have it, the noise from the inconsiderate guy in the cubicle next door, or the blather that's leaking from the earbuds of the dude pushed up against me on the subway. So let me say this. Sorry, ma'am. By the way, that's how we get most of our listeners. Also, actual just listeners, please bathe regularly. You are ambassadors for the brand. But what I want to say is that this is a radio show. Yes, it is a podcast, but I want... ...to rethink some terms. The other day I was listening to a pledge drive on KCRW, the Santa Monica-based radio station, an actual radio station where the radio goes out over the air. The station president, Jennifer Farrow, one of the fine people in radio, a very functional woman, which is kind of surprising given that she runs a public radio station. She was pitching during a pledge drive and she said... Well, we know you listen to the radio. And by radio, I don't mean the device of a radio. I mean all the content that this station produces. And that's when I realized a couple of things. I realized that it was insane that I was listening to a pledge drive that I didn't have to listen to from 3,000 miles away you know what? Morning was about to become eclectic and I wanted to be there when it did. But I also realized that she was right, that radio is a thing in your home or in your car, but it's more accurately a description of the medium itself. Not a device, but communicating, verbalizing, audio, talking in the same way that a theater piece can be conducted in the park or in the parking lot at greenwood cemetery here in brooklyn they did theater it wasn't not theater because they didn't have ushers or they didn't have a proscenium or they didn't have strange goop under the chairs theater means the form just like radio needs to mean the form think about radio's closest cousin yelling out the window no no tv think about tv there are new amazon tv pilots reviewed in the TV section of the newspaper. And by newspaper, I mean website of the newspaper. And by Amazon TV, I mean the thing you watch on a tablet or a smartphone or any screen that's probably not actually a TV. I watch Breaking Bad on my computer. Does that not make a TV? I bought the MLB pass. I watch baseball games on my iPad. It's still TV. And this thing right here is still radio. Ten years ago... The term podcast was coined. Slate's going to do a big blowout soon about podcasts. The 10th anniversary of podcasts. And I want my contribution to be reclaiming the word radio. My guests are to appear on a radio show. I'm making radio. The thing you're listening to is a form of radio. Never mind the device. Radio, short for radio telephony, was once more widely referred to as wireless. And if you get your show via an iPhone, maybe use Wi-Fi, I've got news for you. Cell and Wi-Fi signals use the radio spectrum, just like TV does and just like radio, what we used to call radio before eight minutes ago, what radio does. Radio is just a word that describes a form of communication, and I am here to say that this is that form. It doesn't have to mean just AM or FM. I'm sure the National Theater Owners Guild would like to restrict how we use that word too. I'm taking back radio. There are some in the podcast community who do not like the word podcast. Too limiting, too off-putting, and inaccurate. Apple doesn't even make iPods anymore, do they? It doesn't matter. If I'm not going to be strict and restrictive about radio, I also have to be consistent with podcast. Podcast has come to mean a form of radio that isn't first broadcast over the air, except like with Radio Lab or This American Life or Fresh Air, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, cetera, when it is, podcasts are a way to get radio. There are specific differences between podcasts and radio, like resets. Do you know what resets are? And if you just joined us, Mike is going on and on about why he's actually now engaged in a fit of radio making. That was a reset. Also, podcasts don't have language restrictions. Podcasts don't have to be any set length. Podcasts don't have to give a station ID at the top of the hour. But radio doesn't have to do those things either. They've just come to be associated with radio. They're endemic to over-the-air radio, as it's heard now. And here's where I want to take this. If this is radio, and it is, so what's that thing with the dial, in the cars, with all the static? That's over-the-air radio. Like, we now refer to day baseball or acoustic guitars, we need to apply that retronym to over-the-air radio to distinguish it from this form of radio, which you get via devices, whenever you want, without static, rewindable, stop-and-startable, a little more niche, less traffic and weather on the eights, playing less Iggy Azalea, talking for 25 minutes without having to take a break that you can't get out of. Isn't radio great? And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, producer of The Gist, goes back to Wednesday's show and notes that the Finnish version of Top Cat was Topikati, in German, Supercat. In Hungarian, Terpiyurfi, which means Mr. Menace, in the series, and Fomaksa, main cat, in the special. Andy Bowers is executive producer of Slate Podcast, and he tells me That in the credits two days ago, I said something truer than I've ever said before. All the many lies I've said about him in almost a hundred shows. It turns out that Andy Bowers actually grew up across the street from Arnold Stang. Arnold Stang, the voice of Top Cat. You can listen in SoundCloud or go to iTunes. We're also on Yo! You get the app, you subscribe to something called podcast, and when the show is up, we'll yo you. Similar thing with our email. It's at slate.com slash gist email. You sign up for our email. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash slate gist. Our Twitter feed is slate gist. Our email is thegist at slate.com. Now in Sinhala, which is the language of the Sinhalese people, Topcat was known as Pisupusa, which is really cute, but you have to look at the symbols. I can't quite express the symbols, but the symbols, I swear to God, they look like cats. They look like five little kitty cats with a dash in between them. I'll try to read what I, an English-only reader, make of the Sinhalese. Kitty cat, kitty cat, kitty, kitty, kitty cat. That's it. That's basically it. That's Top Cat. Thanks for listening.
2: I need a new- another 45 years drowning in a river of tears